In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hello and welcome to Pop Crime, where we discuss everything from the gossip to the gavel, the latest scandals, trending legal dramas, as well as the infamous crimes and dirty deeds of the pop culture past. I'm Kiki Monique. If you follow me online, you probably know me as The Talk of Shame, your go-to source for the biggest pop culture stories and famous trials. I love to consume all the news, books, TV, movies, and other media and break down the story so you don't have to. Every week, I'll unpack a new story in the pop culture true crime world, either something that's happening in real time or a reach back into the past. And I'll even have some of your favorite creators, attorneys, journalists, other pop culture accounts, and more on the show to weigh in. The Real Housewives has become part true crime show over the years. When Jersey housewife Teresa Giudice and her husband Joe went to prison for fraud, it was one of the most shocking things on reality TV at that time. Since then, we have seen multiple lawsuits, some scandals, and yes, even another housewife, former Salt Lake City star Jen Shaw, go to prison. Coincidentally, the year Teresa Giudice walked into her prison cell for the first time in 2015 is the same year Erica Girardi joined the cast of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. For the show, Erica mainly went by her pop singer persona stage name, Erica Jane. Erica quickly became one of the most popular housewives with her eccentric fashion choices and catchy club mixes that she would gyrate to in skimpy outfits on screen. She garnered a large fan base and rose to fame, but it's the scandal created by her husband, famed attorney Tom Girardi, that rocked the show and catapulted Erica's profile to the next level, though not for good reasons. And for many reality TV lovers, Erica went from fan favorite to villain nearly overnight. In 2021, the documentary The Housewife and the Hustler gave us a look at the scandal that had just started to unfold with Tom Girardi and his law firm Girardi Keys. What we knew is that shortly after Erica, out of the blue, announced she was divorcing Tom at the end of 2020, the LA Times published a piece detailing the alleged financial crimes against Tom Girardi and the crumbling of his legal empire. All we knew was Tom, the guy the world knew as the Aaron Brockovich lawyer, and the lawyer known as the guy who stood up to corporations to protect the little guy, was now being accused of stealing settlement money from clients including orphans and widows. But now, some of Tom's crimes are no longer alleged, and the list of victims continue to grow more and more as the investigation continued. This week, The Housewife and the Hustler 2 came out on Hulu. It's a collaboration between both ABC News Studio and LA Times Studio, and this documentary provides a much more in-depth look at the Tom Girardi scandal, and it also investigates the systemic failures in the California legal system that allowed this to go on for four decades. 
In this doc, we also see for the first time Erica Jane meet with some of Tom Girardi's victims. Is it fair that Erica is being held responsible for the crimes of her husband? And after watching this new doc, especially after hearing the details of the Marco Marco case involving Erica, will the public change their opinion on what they believe to be Erica's role in the scandal? Today, we are joined by Dylan Hafer, host of Mention It All, the premier podcast for breaking down all things Bravo, to discuss why the Tom Girardi scandal should matter to everyone, even if you're not a reality TV lover, how the Marco Marco lawsuit could affect Erica's fan base and career, and what our thoughts are on Bravo being the new place to watch true crime unfold. Hi, Dylan. Welcome back to Pop Crime. Thanks for having me. I, I can't wait to talk about the thing we've been talking about for how many years at this point? Four? Three? I don't even know. <laughs> I know. It has been like four years. And that's the thing that's so funny about just this whole like Erica Jane, Tom Girardi stuff. It's like, I feel like because of the way the news cycles go and because of Bravo accounts and how we talk about it so much, People are like, what is there left to talk about? How can there even be a part two to this documentary? And I'm just like, I don't think you understand. We haven't even gotten to the actual criminal case yet. It hasn't even started. I know we've been talking about this for four years, but we haven't even begun. Um, this has just sort of opened up a sort of, I would say, can of worms. And I would say this part two really dives into how deep it goes. Yeah, I feel like you're a lot more in the kind of like day to day, you know, this is your beat. This is what you do. You know, obviously, you're hosting the pop crime podcast every week. For me, as a as a Bravo aficionado, but less of a legal, you know, sleuth, I guess. I really haven't thought that much about Erica's, er, specifically Tom's issues that much lately. And this season on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, it's been much less of a focus than it was for the last couple of years. And it feels like sort of in the, in the court of public opinion or the court of housewives opinion, maybe that Erica has sort of like gone through and come out the other side for the most part. But so I thought it was really interesting to see this part too, and sort of be reminded of some of the like side, you know, side quests that have come out of this, like the whole, the whole Marco Marco thing was so interesting to learn more about. Obviously, you know, the, the diamond earrings, which are just, you know, the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> both <laughs> figuratively and literally, but it was kind of helpful context to sort of have that reset a little bit of like, oh yeah, we may have moved on from this as a housewife storyline, but the, the story is not over. It's not over. It's just beginning. I'm so curious too, like when the scandal first broke and you sort of like started finding out about, you know, all of the crimes, the alleged crimes, what was your opinion on Erica sort of at the beginning versus like where it is now? I think I was always pretty skeptical of not necessarily that Erica was some sort of like knowing evil accomplice who was, you know, laughing herself to sleep every night about these victims. I, I, I never really felt like Erica was coming from a place of knowing evil the way that it seems like Tom really was. But I, it was always just tough for me to sort of set that apart from the fact that she 
was so kind of willfully callous for so long with the victims. And so I, I think that was sort of the, the tough piece is I wasn't necessarily on the train of like, Erica knew all along, she should be in jail, X, Y, Z, she's the worst. But it was just kind of like, damn, this is disappointing that you're that you're being faced with this type of information that is so directly tied to this lifestyle that you've not only lived, but have, have flaunted and really built up a personal brand off of this, this rich, you know, extravagant lifestyle. And that there wasn't ever that kind of take a step back, even if I didn't know, this has, this has really changed the way that I feel about my sort of whole thing. And so I I, I don't know, I mean, seeing her meet with the victims in part two, I guess was a a good step. I, I have mixed feelings. Okay, well, yeah, well, we'll get into that, too, because (laughs) I think I can say this earnestly. I do not think that Erica is responsible for all of Tom Girardi's crimes, obviously, because what is very evident that we learn in this part, two is this spans four decades, well before Erica even met Tom Girardi, right? And so that's not a question. He was doing these things, these alleged things, some that are not alleged, for years, and The deeper issue is that people within the California bar, within the California legal system, were basically accomplices allowing this to go on because all of the red flags that were raised and we got to meet some of the victims that I feel like we haven't talked about, you know, this whole time, some of the victims who had been raising these red flags, sending letters, detailed, you know, even lawyers who had worked with him sending detailed letters of, you know, misappropriation of funds. And so this could have been stopped long before we got to even when he had married Erica. But I will say, obviously, once they were married, because we know that her entire music career was funded off of this this lifestyle that they lived. And we now know, you know, even though Tom Girardi's only been charged with, I think, you know, 15 or $18 million, they're saying those are the crimes that they can kind of show in court. You know, just the pocket change. <laughs> yeah, that's the prosecutors are saying, you know, there's over $100 million in fraud that, you know, we can allege that we found, you know, we can't necessarily pursue those cases. So, you know, the fact that her entire career was funded off of a lifestyle that was likely stolen, I think that's where it gets messy, right? It continues to be so wild to me to think about these amounts of money and the idea that these giant settlements that he was winning, the normal cut for the law firm to take would be 40%. Yeah. And it's like, you were winning these people hundreds of millions of dollars, and you were supposed to get 40% of that. The level of greed and the level of manipulation that you have to have to 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 not feel like 40% of all of that money is like a substantial enough cut. It just, it really is crazy. And especially when you, when you frame it over the course of decades, like it so clearly was like, I think that was something that they did maybe a better job of in part two, kind of digging into the layers of corruption and, you know, the, that guy, I bad with the names, but the guy who was in charge of the secret service in LA and the guy who savage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the other, the other Tom who was like the bar association guy. It's like the fact that people like that were sort of so in the pocket of Tom for such a long time Mm -hmm. to the level where, you know, he would be the godfather of their child. Like, those types of things where it obviously I think 
it's not controversial to say that Tom seems like a really, you know, bad person who was screwed over a lot of people, but that it really was this whole system that that allowed this to happen. And and I think that's kind of where I, I feel like Erica is like a little bit tangled up in something that didn't concern her. But obviously everything that the money was being spent on. Yeah. You can't you can't separate the two. They're pointing out these things in the doc that we saw unfold real time, but it didn't mean anything at the time. And, you know, Kate Casey had brought up the fact that, you know, we go back and watch it like the Zapruder film, which I had to admit I had to Google. But apparently that is the film that the JFK assassination, the only film we've ever seen. So I was like, oh, you know, she is. I got it. And we do. And so there was this interesting scene where we've we've all seen it where Erica and Tom are at dinner and they, the L.A. police chief comes up to them and they hug him and they clearly know him. And, you know, Tom's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, just having lunch with Layton. That meant nothing mm. to us. Now, what we've learned is this guy, Tom Layton, worked. He was an investigator for the California bar. And him and Tom Girardi had such a close relationship. They were having lunches almost every day. They were going on trips. He had a credit card. The, the investigator at the, the state, California State Bar had a Girardi and Keys credit card that was being used to pay for his personal funds. Um, he was using Girardi's private jet. This is not a normal relationship. And then it even got to the point where they discovered that Tom Girardi is the godfather to Tom Layton's daughter. He's the godfather. That was really poignant to me because at that point, Erica and him are married. I don't know when he became the godfather, but if you know that your husband is the godfather to the investigator at the California bar, look, we met Erica Jane and she told us how she was a basically a jiggly girl at like kind of a stripper mob bar in Jersey, right? Like that was sort of how we met. She's not, she's a street savvy woman is what I'm saying. And she knows how movers and shakers work. And I'm not saying again, that she knew to the level, but I think she knew when she was at these Christmas parties and doing these things and he was making friends with people in high places, she knew how it was benefiting their lifestyle. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it it seems like you would have to be really, really turning the other cheek in a way where I I believe that Erica, you know, didn't read everything she ever signed. I believe that maybe she wasn't super interested in knowing the details of things. But like you were just saying, it's like Erica is not dumb. She's not somebody who doesn't understand how certain things in the world work. And I think that that's kind of, that's where it feels like there's this kind of like strength credulity a little bit that you would just be like, so, so wool over the eyes about the fact that anything seedy might be happening, even if you didn't know all the details. And yeah, I think the, you know, the, the company card in his name, stuff like that, where it's like, it's not even just like, oh yeah, they have a friendly relationship. Maybe there's a little bit of looking out for each other. It's like, no, he's quite literally on the payroll. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. This man is like fully bought and paid for. And I think that's, that's the type of thing where it feels like another level beyond just sort of like, oh, maybe there was an inappropriate relationship here and there. Maybe somebody helped sweep something under the rug. It's like, no, this was somebody who you were like funding their lifestyle. People get really annoyed because they're like, but though she should not be responsible for the crimes of her husband or any of those things. And I get that. But do you agree? Because I kind of feel this way. 
Do you think that having Erica Jane's name attached, you know, to this whole scandal is a distraction from the real crimes? Because again, we this goes deep. This goes, they're going to have to, un, you know, the state bar did admit to mishandling several of the investigations against Tom. So the fact that they even admitted a little bit means that it goes even deeper. So it's like, does having Erica na- Jane's name attached distract from it? Or the fact that she's such a high profile name, it, it brings attention to a case that needs to be under the spotlight because the California legal system needs to be under the spotlight. And if we have to do it in the name of Erica, Jane because she's the most famous player in it. Isn't that okay? Yeah. I mean, I obviously I think that whatever kind of gets, you know, the victims and people who have been manipulated by Tom and his, you know, cohort, I think is worth it. I'm curious. I'm trying to think, do we know sort of what was the first or, you know, sort of like the final straw in sort of all of this beginning? Because it's not like you know, thinking of comparing it to Jen Shaw, which obviously is a different situation, but the, Jen Shaw was sort of like the culmination of this, you know, 10 year plus investigative ladder where other people had already been, you know, caught and it charged in the same scheme. Whereas with Tom, it, it sort of felt like the castle crumbled out of nowhere a little bit. Well, you know, Watching back, it seems like the Edelston case from Chicago is really the impetus. And you have to wonder if it's because maybe he didn't have enough pool in Chicago, right? And so maybe that's why that sort of... And also the fact that that particular case was attached to literally orphans and widows. I mean, this was about an airline Mm. crash in Indonesia and, you know, people, so many people died, families died. And so the settlement money that they were supposed to get from the plane was never given to them. And so I think that also, you know, was a big thing because we meet, the first time we meet Danny Barnes, I had never heard Danny Barnes' name until this, you know, part two. And basically this was a man that worked for Lockheed. Everyone is getting sick. Tom Girardi takes on the case of like 600 employees of Lockheed. They get a $33 million suit and Tom essentially tells them, I'm going to give you $25,000 each. And then, you know, don't worry about the rest. And they're just kind of like, huh? You know, what Danny says is like, I think he just saw a bunch of black people and they, he was like, this is the most money you've ever seen. So be happy. And so they started raising flags and making complaints back in the nineties and it went ignored. Yeah, that was that was a tough story to hear because it makes it so clear that Tom knew exactly what he was doing in a way that's more nuanced than just like, I'm going to take these people's money. But knowing that he had a group of people that were coming from a background with less resources, with less kind of probably institutional knowledge of how this stuff is supposed to work and sort of using that using that knowledge of of that group as kind of a weapon to be able to say, I'm just going to cut these people a dinky little check that's not going to put much of a dent. And because they haven't had the access to funds like this, because they don't have, you know, the ability to get a second opinion from another lawyer or to, to you know, call up a friend who went to law school, they're just going to take their little check and I'm going to get to keep the rest. And probably it's not ever going to be an issue. And I mean, looking all these decades later, it's great that it's getting exposure, but the fact remains that most of these people will still probably never see their money. I mean, 
I imagine that a lot of the people in that Lockheed case are probably not even still alive, given the fact that they were dealing with these major health complications. And so it's, I think it's great that that everything is getting this amount of attention now. I think I'm sure Erica's, you know, level of visibility on TV has only helped kind of bring it to the surface. But it's, it's tough seeing those individual stories because then you think of all the people that we're not seeing, that we're not hearing from, that also aren't getting their money if they're, if they're even still here to, to make a case for it. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You can choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you lose a button or spill something or just need to take a break. They have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. Get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility. And you always have the option to buy what you love, for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code POPCRIME20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y dot com, that's newly with two U's, and enter the code POPCRIME20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code POPCRIME20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I really want to get into this Marco Marco case because I will say that I think the Erica Jane fandom or just the Erica Jane people who've, you know, because look, I fully admit Erica Jane was always one of my favorite housewives. And I'm not going to say that she's not, you know, like after watching the episode in Barcelona, like, look, I get why she is charming and she's hilarious and she's funny. It's hard to defend her all the time because she does the wrong thing. I mean, even her own lawyers who were in this doc, by the way, say like, does she say some things that were like, absolutely, she shouldn't? Absolutely. Because, and so they um, admit that. But the Marco Marco case, I feel like could be that almost decider of like, this isn't necessarily just about Tom because she was involved. She even brings it up on the show because when she had the whole, um, you know, two lies and a truth game, she brings up wearing a wire, which is what is connected to this Marco Marco case. And also, you know, Erica's 
fan base is largely made up of the gay community, right? And Marco Marco are like sort of heroes in the gay community. They're designers who have designed for every big diva, right? Rihanna, Lady Gaga. I mean, everyone has worn Marco Marco. And so within the community, they feel, you know, Erica betrayed. Um, And so I thought getting able to hear that story for the first time was kind of huge. Um, Just like a little bit of background on what the Marco Marco, and what was also surprising, and I don't know if this surprised you too, was this wire was back in 2016, which was another Mm. sort of like red flag to me of like this she it seemed like she was aware of Tom's issues back in 2016 because if Tom is the one that said I want these charges off because we can't afford it or whatever and that's what made her go get the war that was in 2016 right if you had if you had $700,000 of Amex bill that was complicated for you to pay in 2016 then uh yeah <laughs> something was up you know <laughs> exactly so like a little bit of background on the Marco Marco you have Chris Pasila and Marco Morante they basically are like the founders of Marco Marco and Chris really runs like the operation side whereas Marco is a designer and we actually see a clip I hadn't even remembered of Marco dressing styling it was that scene where Erica's getting shoved into that really tight bodysuit you know the fact that she even had access to them immediately on starting her pop singer career, which by the way, I'm not going to act like, I, I felt like Hulu was like, knew what they were doing, showing those old photos of uh, Erica's like original face. It's always so funny to see housewives before they have the surgeries. Cause I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's what Erica looks like. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. she gets, you know, she had access to these designers who again had been dressing celebrities because of Tom's power and connections. Like, you know, and the fact that she walked in and basically said no budget, because that's what Chris said, you know, the first time they designed, you know, he goes to hand her an invoice and he says that she was like, we don't need to worry about those. And that is how their relationship continued. It's so telling also because what you had just said before about how Marco Marco kind of was most known for working with and dressing these major pop stars, these women who were sort of at the pinnacle of the music industry specifically. And the fact that then when Erica, the housewife, who had no music career to speak of, she waltzes in the door and you're saying, that's the first time that budget hasn't been an issue. It's like, when when you're designing a costume for Lady Gaga, the budget might be high, but there's there's somebody behind the scenes who's like, no, we can't go over this amount. <laughs> exactly. There's a, business, there's a business manager who's like, no, 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 no. We are not getting, we're not having this redone. You know, it, all of these women who are, you know, some of the most famous people in the world. And then Erica was able to come in and sort of blow their minds with how much she was willing to spend. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. And so then the fact that the fact that they were sort of able to bring their business into a new kind of era, it seems like this was really such a boon for them. And then years later, after working together on so many different things, both, you know, on the show, performances that she had done, tours that she had done, it it really hurt to watch because it felt like their hard work and their dedication to her was so taken advantage of. And I don't know if it was for a convenient, you know, 
for a tax write-off or for t- to get out of a little bit of a pinch or just to to sort of get the heat off of Tom and Erica. But it was it really felt like such a betrayal in a way that was it's a little more personal than than when you have you know Tom's law firm with the hundred million dollars and all of that. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. And, for, you know, for me, you know, the people who are, you know, either Erica fans or Erica sycophants, and they're just like, she could do no wrong. I don't know how you could look at this specific case and just say, as a friend, it feels wrong because, you know, he, the whole, the company's working off of this, like, yeah, unlimited budget. You send us the designs. We make them cool. It's approved. We see the actual designs on the show. So we know that you wore them. And then one day out of the blue to call up and say, you know, I need invoices because the lawyers are asking and I need them ASAP and then start getting accusatory and then basically accusing them of overcharging $800,000, you know, and, and they're kind of like $800,000 overcharging. We might in a good year make $800,000. So to be overcharging you is impossible. And so, you know, Chris Basila calls a meeting well, you know, because, yeah, first he gets the call saying, you know, Erica doesn't approve this. And then Erica calls himself. And then so Chris calls a meeting and he says that, you know, Erica comes in very accusatory. And what he didn't know is Erica was wearing a wire. Now, in that meeting, supposedly what was said is that, you know, I looked through all of the the Amex charges. And, yes, I can see where, you know, there may be $100,000 in charges that we overcharged. That is what her lawyers and the people who are, you know, for Erica are saying, see, there was proof that there was overcharging. I don't know how you heard it, but what I heard was I have a client who I have billed, have had no budget for, for this entire time. They are upset with me. I would rather give them a hundred thousand dollar credit because I know that the future potential work will make up for it in the long run. So let me just give them something to be happy because I need to find them something. I know I haven't stolen any money, but I have to give them something. That's what I heard. And they're using it as like, well, see, they did did find $100,000. And I I think that's so wrong. Next thing we know, after the wire, Secret Secret Service shows up and arrests Chris for wire fraud. Now, you know, Emily Baker also, who is in this doc, points out Secret Service they do get involved in financial crimes, but it's usually at a very, very high level. Why would Secret Service be arresting these designers over Amex charges? It doesn't make sense. And then they start, you know, the LA Times starts doing research, realizing that this guy, Rob Savage, is really good friends with Tom Girardi. He had, Tom had been his lawyer in a civil case. The civil case didn't go in Savage's favor. So Tom said, don't worry, I'm going to get you your money somehow. And then the next day, two guys who work under Savage happen to arrest Chris Basila. I'm like, uh, <laughs> that I was, yeah, no, the, the Secret Service thing really threw me because to me, the Secret Service is like two, two big dudes in suits that are like standing next to the presidents. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, like they also are like going to these like, you know, the little gay designers in LA and like asking them what's up with their finances. But yeah, I mean, the detail of all of this that really, I think, sort of drove it home was that Chris and his husband, I think, were in the process of adopting a child and that through the, you know, eventually the case against him was dropped, but that in the time frame that he was, you know, awaiting a hearing or whatever. Which was five years. 
yes, a, lo- a long period of time where he was, you know, basically in limbo, that one of the effects was that the adoption fell through. And I think that, that that's the type of thing where it's like you have those, there are so many parts of this whole mess that are financial and that it's okay, there's, you know, this person is owed this much money. And obviously it's, you know, there are complications and things. But then when you have sort of those personal details like that, that it's like this person who was Erica's close colleague, and I probably would have considered her a friend for all of these years, got wrapped up in this thing through no fault of his own. And then as a result of that, doesn't get to have a child like that the that type of ramification really makes it hard to sort of be like oh it was like a complicated situation and erica was wrapped up in whatever like that's the type of thing where it's like on a human level not being able to sort of acknowledge that and try and move forward it just feels like there's still like a missing piece of i don't know if it's compassion or or just like i don't know human <laughs> human empathy but it's like Damn, that's tough. It's really tough. It's like that. We talked about this when she was seeing her therapist, Erica, on the show. And she was like, how do I get empathy? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And then, yeah, she's sitting down with the victims. And they're like, why did it take you so long? And she's like, well, nobody asked. It's like, oh. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like those pieces. Yeah, you can't put a price tag to the fact that, like, you didn't get to have a family because the adoption agency turned you around because you were under indictment for five years. You know, his brother, his father also passed away during this five-year indictment, so they never got to see him, quote, as a free man, you know? All of those things, yeah, there's just no price tag, but there needs to be accountability, and that's the thing. I think the big theme of this documentary is like the accountability. And I know there is so many layers and not, again, it doesn't go to one person, but there is some level of accountability, Miss Jane, that you have. And you are unfortunately the most famous of the players. And so you're just going to be under scrutiny a little more. Look, there's uh, there are other people who have also been arrested and are being tried in addition to this. And we hope that more and more continue because again, I think the spotlight needs to be on this went on. Let's be, let's be real. Tom is 84 years old. He got away with it. He lived a long Mm -hmm. life, very rich doing whatever he wanted to do. He got away with it. And I know that is like a hard pill to swallow, but he got away with it. But that doesn't mean that like everyone needs to get away with it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's such a good point. And I think one of the one of the victims who was featured was was talking at the end about how she had gotten a certain amount of payouts, but it was from this sort of like Josie Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Yes, Josie. And it was 
she had gotten these payouts, but it was from kind of like a, a like third party type of system. Basically, yeah, paid out. They paid out. California Bar ended up paying out, I think, $1.2 million to 44 of the Girardi victims. And so, obviously, then it's like you sort of have to start questioning, like, what are what really matters to you? What is this all about? What is the end goal? And obviously, I think, you know, Josie says in the in the documentary that does that feel like justice? The fact that she's getting some amount of money from someone who wasn't the one who took it from her? Not really. But then at, at the same time, I, I understand 100% where she's coming from. But it's tough because it's like, Tom doesn't have the money. The money's gone. And it's, money's gone. it's as, as hard as it is to sort of like come to terms with that. It's tough because I want these uh, these victims and these survivors really at the end of the day, obviously they should have what they're owed and and probably more for their troubles. But also I just want them to be like good. Like I want yeah. them to feel like they can put this behind them. And obviously, you know, that needs to come with certain financial assurances, but just in a in a like mental, spiritual sense, it's like just sort of moving on with your life. And I I I hope that they're able to do that, you know, in some way at some point. It just because it, it it sucks, and the fact that some of these people have had decades of their lives kind of swallowed up by this in a lot of ways. It's, yeah, it's really heartbreaking. And you know, like the California Fund, you know, again, I don't know what you have to do for qualify to qualify, and hopefully, people can you know get recouped that way. Because the reality is, with the bankruptcy. It's not going to trickle down to the victims. It's going to get eaten up by lawyers and all of the like the secured lenders. That's what they're basically called. Secured lenders versus victims are considered unsecured. You're just like, oh, you just get taken advantage of and you just like get, you know, and they'll never see that bankruptcy money most likely. So it's really sad. How do you feel about the fact? Okay, we also saw the clip of Governor California Governor Gavin Newsom on Watch What Happens Live talking about how Erica Girardi is his famous house fa- his favorite housewife because Tom, you know, he Dom was a huge Democratic donor. He's given to he's hosted rate how to fundraisers for Biden. He was I think John Edwards, he you know advisor for mm-hmm. that campaign and Gavin Newsom says that said that Tom Girardi had been very very um what was the word he used he was just like generous, generous. I think. yes very very generous how do you feel about the fact that there's other there are people let's be real they're just like Erica they have received the benefit of funds that could potentially be tainted could we don't know but could they'll never nobody's asking Governor Newsom to give back his donation money yeah, it's it's so complicated and there are so many ripple effects. I mean, I'm sure that over obviously, you know, <laughs> donating to political campaigns, you can feel feel how you want to feel about that, but I'm sure that Tom was donating money to charity over the years. I'm sure that he was doing other philanthropy things. People that are in a position like he was just because the money is stolen doesn't mean that they're not doing anything quote unquote good with it. I think obviously with Erica, it's a, a little bit tougher because you know funding a, a pop star career is not the same as you know giving money to charity or even donating to a campaign but i i think that it's it's one of those things where in a way 
unfortunately, that's how the world works sometimes. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of money things happening way above our pay grade that <laughs> that would probably, you know, maybe even make Tom Girardi look like child's play. And so I I think it's it sucks. I mean, obviously that clip of Gavin Newsom bragging about it has not aged particularly well, but <laughs> no. in the grand scheme of things, it's like what what are you like what can you do? What are you even supposed to do? I don't know. I mean, maybe Gavin Newsom could could kick a little bit back to some of the victims. I think he probably has um I think he probably is doing okay, but, um, or at least be, I mean, you're the governor of California. Like, let, like let's start launching some of these investigations into your people who are working underneath you or in Lord, make it easier for these victims to have a fund for them to like get their money back. You know, like you as governor, it seems like you yeah. should be able to do some of the, something like that. That sort of like secondary route to like helping out versus just like the, the money itself. I think when you're in a position of power, it seems like that's kind of like where you really could, have the most impact. It leads us to the sit down that Erica Jane had with the victims because, you know, I just actually had the victims. I interviewed them and you know, this sit down happened in July of 2023. And, you know, the doc was filmed kind of all last year and we sort of stopped filming it maybe at the end of last year. So end of 2023. And so in the six months that have trans have, have transpired between the sit down and now the victims in that room have sort of changed their tune, you know, like I think that day, everyone felt good. They felt that Erica, you know, she did apologize, which again, I think some people were like, why does she have to apologize for Tom? And I get it because, you know, it is it is Tom's mess. She she should apologize for sort of like the things she said, though, and her behaviors towards them. That meeting, though, was, was like over 90 minutes that day. And we only see what? like a few minutes in this documentary. So we don't even know everything that happened behind those closed doors. But from what you saw in the doc, like, what was your initial reaction? Because I feel like the victims feel like she could use her power, just like we were talking about, like, use your power to help them now become whole. And in that meeting, Erica made promises about wanting to help. And they really said they haven't heard from her since. And so they feel like it was just sort of bullshit. Yeah, it's it's tough because, like you said, if it was a 90-minute a meeting and we only saw a few minutes of it, I obviously, you know can't speak to the rest of what was said, but it, it just kind of had the air of like a little bit of a photo op, a little bit of being able to check the box that you went and did it and that you, you know, it's like you went and, you know, kissed some babies and made people feel good. And I think that obviously there are questions that people have about sort of what Erica's responsibility is here. And, you know, she feels one way. A lot of people feel differently. I don't think she in her heart still feels like it is really her responsibility to do anything. I think I'm sure she can understand that it would be nice to do something, but I don't think that there's that element of her feeling like it really is her duty to kind of help make these people whole. And I think that with, without that kind of genuine 
feeling of that, it's it's going to be tough for these people to really feel like they're getting much more than kind of some lip service from Erica. Because, I mean, even with the earrings, as much as those are like sort of don't represent the whole, you know, there's so much more to it than that. But just the fact that Erica could never get her mind around the fact that, hey, like, maybe you don't need the earrings. And so getting rid of the earrings and using that money for something else, maybe that would just be a nice thing to do. And I think that that, for whatever reason, is just not quite how Erica is wired to see this situation. And I, you know, it seems a lot of it comes from a place of being defensive and a place of obviously, you know, in certain ways, she had her, the rug kind of pulled out from under her with her lifestyle. But I, I don't know, I feel... I feel like that that scene was a little tough to watch because it felt like Erica was sort of doing a slightly different version of what she's done on The Real Housewives for the last few seasons where she kind of like, she goes into these situations very straight-faced, very emotionless, and kind of just responds to people's questions very surface level. It's very like, oh, well, why didn't you do this earlier? Because I wasn't asked. Why did you, you know, not do this? Oh, well, it, I didn't know. I couldn't have done anything. Like, it, it feels like she she approached that sit down from a place of what what's the fewest amount of words I can use to make people feel like I checked off the box and I did something nice and then it's done. And I, you know, it's it's unfortunate to hear that she hasn't really, you know, picked up that conversation since then. But at the same time, I'm not surprised. I would have been more surprised if she was out there, you know, like pitching in to, to make people's lives better. <laughs> and that sucks. Cause I don't, I don't think she's a horrible person. I don't, yeah, I don't hate her, but it's like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I, I agree with you though. I, I was shocked that she just was like fighting so hard for the earrings. Cause again, I know the earrings is such a small part. And at one point, at one point I even said to myself, you know, cause her lawyer said like, he has, she has to be on the show or she can't even buy bread, you know, because we find out that her other friend attorney, Jim Wilkes had essentially funded like $2 million of this ongoing case had given her, you know, money so she can get a house, you know, a, an apartment and, and all of those things. But I always think back to the Anne Hathaway case when she found out she was dating that con artist and they came in and she immediately was like, take the jewelry. I don't want anything to do with anything in that man. And I think that to, I think most people would have that normal reaction if you found out the guy you were dating was a fraud and you had all of these like expensive jewels and baubles on your body, you'd be like, no, I want nothing to do with this blood money, essentially. Now, as the Bravo expert, I do need to end this and ask you, do you think, you know, because I saw on the Bravo blogs today <laughs> that the Real Housewives <laughs> of Miami reunions parts two and three are moving to Thursday night in order to air Erica's Bet It All on Blonde two-part special, which is coming out on March 6th and March 13th. So... To me, that says that Bravo is definitely betting on Blonde and her name is Erica Jane. It seems like they're really, does this signify to you that Bravo is invested in Erica in the long haul? And does it, does it surprise you? Or, you know, do you think that they're sort of like capitalizing off of this attachment or they're just kind of like, you know, in it? Well, I mean, obviously them giving her this two episode thing is, is a big opportunity they obviously are investing her in that sense. But when it comes to sort of a long-term 
commitment or a long-term investment. I think that Bravo kind of treats these opportunities like a truffle pig. Like they're sniffing around in the dirt. They they want the programming. They want things that people are going to watch. And if they smell something, they're going to go for it. And if they don't, they're going to keep it moving. And I think that, honestly, it's not clearly not the same situation. But a year or two ago, I would have said that Candy Burris was one of the most valuable people in Bravo's stable. And she just announced she's not coming back to Real Housewives of Atlanta because they essentially waited too long to call her about next season. And I think that you know, Candy's had multiple spinoffs. Candy's done a lot for the network over the years, and maybe she'll come back. I think Erica right now is in a period where, like I said at the beginning, it feels like she's sort of like walked through the fire and come out the other side in in this arena, at least. At BravoCon this year, the reception to her felt very strong and positive. Once again, she had a whole, they like dedicated a, a panel basically to her doing a Path the Puss tutorial, which um, I did attend for a few minutes and I had a better time than I was expecting to. But yeah, I think that Erica right now is kind of in, uh, she's in a good spot with Bravo. I think honestly, this season of Beverly Hills has been kind of up and down and she's been one of the more consistent good things about it, kind of the way that she's interacted with the group. So I think that right now they're happy to kind of keep her on board. There hasn't been sort of like one update or one development that has made it really hard to sort of justify sticking with her. But at the same time, I think if something did happen, they would be just as content to to wash their hands of her. And I think that, you know, with what we've seen from a Jen Shaw, from even somebody like Jenny Wynn on Salt Lake a couple seasons ago, where you know, something problematic came up and they were like, Jenny who? She's not on the show anymore. And so I think Erica right now probably feels like she's in a good spot. But, you know, that trial's coming up. There's going to be a lot more stuff over the next year, two years. And we'll see. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody's spot is safe to be, you know, to be totally honest. This is true. Nobody's spot is safe. And we've learned that the new term for cancellation is just on pause. Everything's on pause. (laughs) Winter House is on pause. So many people. Monica Garcia on pause. (laughs) Everyone's on pause. (laughs) Dylan, I know everyone knows, uh, but Mention It All is your podcast. I can also find you at at Dylan Hafer. Is that correct? Is that your IG? (laughs) At Dylan Hafer and uh, and throw at Bravo by Betches a follow if you want to want more Bravo content. But uh, Kiki, it's been so fun. I love having you here. Thanks so much for joining Pop Crime. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Pop Crime is produced by Sean Kilby, Shannon Sassone, and me, Kiki Monique. Editing by Shannon Sassone. Guest booking by Ali Freelander. And be sure to follow me at The Talk of Shame on TikTok and Instagram. And send your emails to podcast at betches.com. Betches.